Well, I'm excited to be the one to stick the landing on this whole big new vision that we have and that we're rolling out in front of you, asking God, asking God to raise up Christians, not somewhere, someplace. Wouldn't it be neat if there were Christians, some Christians that were thinking this way and living this way? No, asking God right here in our church family to raise up Christians who have the courage to stand, not synonymous with obnoxious. So we're not going obnoxious. We're not going screaming. We're not going to call homosexuals faggots. We're not, that's not what we're talking about when we say courage to stand. Loving, gracious, peaceful, but courage nonetheless. Courage to stand, confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice so that others can hear this good news. Why? Well, because we have the truth of God's word, there's truth. And John 8, 32 says, the truth shall set you free, but you got to know the truth. And we are those channels of truth because of the truth of God's word, because of the mission of God's church. If you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, she's on the move. She's on the move. We're supposed to be on the move. There's a mission. And because of the mercy of God's son that's been poured out on our lives. Truth, mission, mercy that would cause us to have some courage and I hope it's beginning to stir you as much as it does me. In our small group, it's been great. I've, I'm already hearing word back from other small groups. There's been great discussions. People are doing this. People are doing things they weren't doing before. And, and they're more conscious of lost people and speaking the name of Jesus. But I don't want this just to be a little flare, a little shot in the dark that we do this for a little bit and we all settle back down. Like at the gym right now, it's packed. I can't get on my machines because of all these people. But I know they're going to go away. Hallelujah. And then it's going to be me and the real people that have been there six, seven years. And I'll get my machines back. We don't want this to be one of those things that, oh, we had a little buzz for a little bit. And then I hope we never settle back down. Because when I read the book of Acts, I see these three things jumping off the 28 chapters and the pages of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. I see Christians who had the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up and name the name of Jesus publicly And I see Christians who were still so gripped by the mercy of God for them that they were willing to sacrifice for others so that more lost people could come into this grace and mercy that we're experiencing. They didn't want to just keep it to themselves. And so in a sense, I'm not just rolling out a big new vision. I have a dream. Martin Luther King was not the only one that had a dream. I've been here 19 years and I'm going into my 20th year and I have a dream. What if, what if 75% of our people, both at Newport and Florence, who, who, who say they're part of our church family, that's my church, that's my church home, Grace Fellowship. What if 75% of the people who call Grace Fellowship their home really got on board and began to embrace this vision to help us make it a reality? What would happen? What would happen to our community? What could we see God do through us? But before I go any further, let me address something that I think has already come up. Let me address and make a big disclaimer that might help some of you to just take a deep breath. Some of you that are thinking, I'm different. I'm different. And here's what I mean. You've been sitting here these weeks and you're thinking, oh, as he talks about courage to sin, confidence to speak up, heart to sacrifice... That isn't me. I'm scared. I'm really scared. 
I don't want to do these things. There's part of me that really doesn't want to speak up, even though I've got the mercy of God in my life. I don't want to speak up. I wish I was like Brad that was so bold, or I wish I was like those other people that he's read their testimonies of what they've been doing, but I'm not. If that's you here today, and I'm sure there are some of you that are thinking, Brad shares the gospel with every person on every plane, always. He shares the gospel with every person on the treadmill next to him, always. He shares the gospel naked, in the shower, always, with whoever else is standing there, always. No. No. Especially not the whole naked thing. It's like, oh, let's just pretend we don't even know each other. So let me tell you something that I hope will make you feel a little better. But also, my purpose in telling you this is to draw you back into the circle of you're not different. You're just like us. Every single person that's given me their story has also said, and I've been very scared. I feel inadequate. I feel overwhelmed. This is not me. This is not what I usually do. Okay? Every time I get ready to talk to someone about Jesus in the gym, I'm thinking, the Holy Spirit's prompting me. You you should talk to them. You should turn it in a spiritual direction. Every time I'm sitting on a plane next to someone, I think, I should talk about Jesus. Let me tell you what else is going on. My flesh is just cranking out excuses left and right. When someone's sitting there next to me saying, oh, you can't hear very well. I have one ear that's deaf. You can't hear. If you turn your neck for 30 minutes and talk to them in this conversation, you'll have a crick in your neck the rest of the conference, the weekend. And I do. I have to go lay on the floor in the hotel with my head cocked the other way for 10 minutes to fix what just happened. Because I sat like this for 30 minutes. And I'm going to teach this weekend. And so I can't have my head cocked sideways and hurt. I've got a book that I'm excited about that I just want to read. I'm exhausted. I just need to chill out. This person doesn't look very interested at all. Scary person. I don't think they'd be interested. That's what is screaming inside of me. And sometimes I cave in to the excuses and I don't speak. (gasps) Say, oh. Our pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Like on this trip that I just came back from the Dominican where I was going to teach in a conference, I prayed and I was like, all right, God, use me. I'm your man. I'm scared. Use me. Put next to me who you want me to share the gospel with on every flight. And I had four flights, four legs here to New York, New York to Santiago, Santiago back to New York, New York here. First flight here to New York. I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling slightly sick. I'm praying. I'm like, all right, is people going by? Is it them? No, good, it's not them. They're still walking by. Is it them? Oh, I want it to be them. They look really nice. Not them. And then it was nobody. Nobody sat there. I'm like, oh, I can just read. Doesn't that sound awful? But I hope it helps you. That's me. Mr. Con- Courage to stand. Confidence to speak up. Heart to sacrifice. Was excited. No one sat there. It's awful. But I'm just telling you. New York to Santiago. I'm thought it's not going to happen again. Planes are just packed today. You never get no one next to you. You're going to be there for sure. It's just how it is today. No one again. <gasps> Read some more. And then the flight from Santiago back to New York. I'm sitting there. Nobody, 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 nobody. And at the last minute, this guy gets on. I can tell he must have been on standby. <sighs> and he's like, that's my seat. I'm like... Well, you're the one. Right? I mean, this is going to happen. What you wanna, how you want to do this? Because this is going to happen. I mean, I've been... <laughs> right? I mean, when you've been praying, you're like, okay. And it doesn't mean I just turned and said, do you know you're going to hell? I didn't do that. I just... But here's what I found. Make conversation 
soon rather than later. As soon as you sat there a while, it's kind of like the unspoken rule. We didn't talk. We pretended that we didn't exist. And so it's real hard to all of a sudden pretend they do exist. Speak quickly. Hey. And just ask some questions. And I'll talk to him about Jesus. And then when on the next leg from New York back to here, I'm going down the aisle and I see there is a little head right next to where I'm supposed to sit. And I sit down. It's an older woman. So I thought, we need to just do this thing. All right. I'm like, hi. And she's like. (laughs) She looked terrified. I thought, okay. Ah, I don't think she speaks English. I'm like, habla espanol. And she's like, Russian. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we're done. I I don't even know Jesus in Russian. I could take a stab at a little Spanish, but like. Read again. So I get out all my highlighters, orange, yellow, and line them up in the little backpack there. And I'm like getting settled and plane doesn't move, doesn't move, doesn't move. And then they come on and say, oh, there's a problem. Problem was right under my seat. They had to tear up the floor under my seat. They said, we need to get everybody off the plane while we dig through the floor to find out what's wrong. So we're off for a long time. Then they put us back on. I sit next to Russian. And I'm thinking, we're not going to talk. And then the flight attendant comes down and says, Mr. Bigney, we've bumped you up to first class. I'm like, all righty. Someone up there must have said, I'm out. I can't wait for this thing to be fixed. And so I'm heading up there. And my seat is next to this man that I'd already picked out at the gate as someone I would never want to talk to. It was like, oh, it's him. It's like he's on his cell phone. He's making money now. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, no. He's not, no. But... I turned, I began to ask questions. We talked from New York all the way here. And I talked about Jesus. I talked about the hope of the gospel. And he didn't just shut me down. But I want you to know that. So there's my big disclaimer. Do you feel better? I don't always do this, but I want to do it. And I pray that I'll do it. So don't put yourself in a special category like, ah, it's just Brad and these special people that do this. Okay? So with that disclaimer out of the way, here's what I really want to do today. I want you to understand that it's not enough. It's not enough to write a vision statement, even for me to memorize it. Maybe you've noticed I've got it memorized. And to drip it into sermons relentlessly and find ways to talk about this. It's not enough for Peter and I to do three messages out loud in front of you about it. It's going to take more than that. And it's the more that I want to talk about today. What is that more that it's going to take for us to see this become A reality, from a vision to reality. That's what I want to talk about. And here's how I want to share it with you. Most of us have a device in our lives that we've gotten accustomed to and we're very grateful for called a GPS. Different brand names, GPS. And the acronym just simply means Global Positioning System. And you use it to get from point A to point B without wandering all over the place, getting lost. I want to give you what I think is the GPS that will help us together. It's hard to get a church family this size to move together in the same direction, together to move towards this vision for the vision to become a reality. That's what I want to share with you. And it's this, giving, praying, serving. Giving, praying, serving. See, it's going to take you. You are the church. These walls, this building is not the church. Me and the elders are not the church. You are the church. So if you don't buy in and you don't step up, we're not going to see this become a reality. So I want to talk to you about the GPS that I think we're going to need in place to keep us moving in the same direction. 
So let me give you some of the biblical basis, the biblical basis in scripture that feeds this GPS. First, number one, I want you to look at what God says about giving our money. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I hope this doesn't shock you, but it takes money to fund ministry. It doesn't take only money, but it does take money. It takes money to fund ministry. It was that way in the Bible days and it's still that way today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and it is certain we can take nothing out of it. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. Now there's one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. It does not say money is the root of all evil. News alert, money can do great good. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man or woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, that's a verse I quote quite a bit. 1 Timothy 6.12. And he repeats it in 2 Timothy 4.8. And he repeats it. Three places Paul talks about fighting the good fight of faith, but maybe you've never seen it in context. And it's certainly appropriate to quote it and use it in any context. But notice it's in the context of giving your money that he says, fight the good fight of faith. Why? It takes faith to believe that God will allow us to be okay and our needs will be met on less. Because the flesh, just like with witnessing, is no different with giving. The flesh just screams when you get ready to give money away. Wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Cut that in half. What were you thinking? Or keep that, keep that. You don't know what's coming. You might need that. You have to have faith. Fight the good fight of faith to believe that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is good, that he will provide Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will make manifest at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no eye has seen or can ever see. To him be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Charge those who are rich in this present age. Now look at me. Don't you dare put yourself in a different category right now. And I say, say, I hope those rich people are listening now. If you live in America, you're rich. Your income is in the top 3% of the entire world. World. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. It's easy to just be prideful and self-sufficient and think you're just going to take care of yourself. Not to be haughty, nor to trust 
In what kind of riches? What's the, what's the descriptive word in front of that? Uncertain. God is certain when you trust in him. Money is not. Nor to trust. Don't put your trust in money, but it's so easy to do. As long as we have enough. As long as we have enough set aside. As long as we will be okay. Nor to trust in uncertain riches because they can just go. But in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. Let me give you the big picture of this whole passage. Here's the big picture. And notice how I've been pressing the last couple years. When you read your Bible, don't just jump in and read a few verses. Whenever you back it up and look at what led up to it. And whenever you keep going, you get many more insights. That's what's happening right here. I read a larger portion from verse 6 to verse 19. Some of those verses you've probably heard before in isolation. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Even the little doxology that's right there in the middle. Not a him who is the king of kings and lord of lords. Who alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no eye has seen. What is Paul doing? It's like he was talking about money and giving. All of a sudden he launches into something about the second coming of Christ. And his glorious attributes. And then he goes back to money. It's not a mistake. The issue of giving and money. Has right in the center of it. The sweetness. Of Jesus Christ. And the fact that what is happening right now is temporal. And there's an eternity. He gives you a sweet burst of eternity. Right in the middle of his exhortation about giving. Because if it's just raw give. You ought to give. You ought to give. You ought to give. That'll never get it done. But when you begin to see things in light of eternity. That he's coming back. His second coming. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. He dwells in unapproachable light. He has all honor and everlasting power. And he's your lord. He's my king. It changes how you handle your money. You let go of it much more readily. See, when you start living in light of eternity, you start giving as unto the king. You start living with an eternal perspective and you haven't forgotten. Oh, there's a king of kings and lord of lords. He's so worthy. He's so good. He's so amazing. And he's coming back soon. You can start giving. I'll put it to you this way. When you start living in light of that great day. When you start living in light of that great day, you'll start giving as much as you can away. The Bible often talks about that day. That day. That day, it's referring to the return of Christ, the end of all things. When you start living in light of that great day and it's on your mind, you'll look for ways to give away as much as you can instead of keep, 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 stockpile. So this is what Paul's doing so that it would fire us up and give us the right motivation. And what I want to point out in in a little more specifics is three buts and three key Verbs, three buts and three key verbs. Look at the first but in verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You'll never give away money the way you ought until you reach a greater level of contentment. And you're going to have to fight this world and fight Madison Avenue and fight the media who continually stirs up discontentment. 
discontentment. We need a bigger house. We need a better car. I need one now that's got Bluetooth, whatever, blah, blah. So I just speak and it plays my music. I'm tired of plugging my phone in. Right? I'm not saying it's a sin to have that. I would like to have that. But you notice it's just always the next thing. I thought it was great that I got all my CDs ripped onto my iPhone and bought this plug for $17 at Walmart so that I can pick out my own music and stop listening to the radio because I don't like half of what they're playing. And I thought that was really nice. And then I got in a car with someone and they just said, play, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I want that. I just want to speak to my car also. Because my plug sometimes doesn't work and it gets screwy and it's, ah, and it's like, kick, 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 kick. I just want to say, play. Not saying it's a sin, but notice it's just always that next thing, always that next thing, always that next thing. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many harmful things that plunge people into, into destruction. Look at me. Those who desire to be rich... This is what's going on when, when someone gets that email from Nairobi that says, brother, I inherited $1 million and I need to put it in an American bank account and I share half of it with you. I just need your social security number and your bank account number. And people hit reply and give it. Are you an idiot or what? No, no, they're not an idiot. They're verse nine. Those who desire to be rich. It is amazing the stupid things you'll do if your heart is set on, I gotta get all I can, I gotta get it as fast as I can. I got people I know. I have a friend who's not an idiot, very smart, who did this, replied, and then took it all out on his credit card to give the money because he didn't really have the money. Disastrous. Why do you do that? You do that when you're in verse nine. Those who desire to be rich. Look at verse 11. But you, O man of God or woman of God, flee these things. Now let me show you the three verbs. And they're right at the end in verse 18, 19. Three verbs where he sticks the landing. In light of Christ's second coming and the sweetness of who he is. Here's the goal. Here's where I want to get. Be ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come. You can't be ready to give until your financial house gets in order. And, and even though America is the richest country in the world, it's got people who are the most screwed up with their finances because it doesn't matter how much you have, everyone's spending more than they actually have. More than they actually take in. More than they actually have. Get your financial house in order. You say, Brad, it is a big mess. God can work even in big messes. Don't just limp all the way through this life saying it'll always be a big, fat mess. Get your financial... One of the best ways to do this is to jump into one of our Financial Peace University classes with Dave Ramsey. We do it twice a year and one starting next week. If you need help, get help. It'll walk you through step by step. What should I, where would I start? What would I pay off first? What do I do? How do I do a budget? How does this work? Don't just stay in a mess. You want to be ready to give, willing to share, storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come. I want to be sending some of this on ahead. I want to be sending as much as I can on ahead, storing up a good foundation for the time to come. 
Maybe you think your mess is so big, there's no hope. Let me give you an illustration, an example. Right here out of our own church family. There's a couple in our own church family. Young married couple. Both of them musicians with, with huge school debts from their music degree. And they decided that they were going to tithe. Give 10% of their income. With the big school debt. And they set a goal to get that debt paid off in three years. You say, how much are we talking about? $118,000. And they begin to fire in on that. And he, he wrote me and he said this past year they paid off $28,000 to the principal on their loan. And purchased his wife a new instrument that was $15,000. While they tithed. And he said this in his email. He said, we'd been on board with tithing prior to giving, prior to gaining a full awareness of our debt. And then he says, get a full awareness of your financial picture. He says, I was not aware of the seriousness of our financial situation. Very often people aren't. They know, I think it's bad. Like, how bad? I don't know. (laughs) Find out. You really can't begin to do something about it until you have a full picture of what are we talking about? How much debt are we talking about? And he says, here's the takeaways I would share with others. Get fully aware of your financial situation. For us, it was education debt. For others, it might be a mortgage debt, credit card debt, consumer debt. He says, then live within your means. No big news here, he says. Set goals, budget to track your progress. And they went through Financial Peace University. He said, I would tell people, wrap your head around the concept that no part of your financial situation is outside of God's control and that what you have and don't have is all in him. My wife is also much more gifted at finances than I am. And I have to be willing to embrace that. However, so here's sometimes what men do. I'm not good at that, so my wife takes care of that. And you're watching football and just ordering things for about Civil War memorabilia for every commercial. That, that won't work. And you're eating lunch out every day with the guys and she's trying to put a budget together. <laughs> Same team. Even if she's better, you need to know what's going on and help with it. Help, you got to be a team. So he says, my wife is better, but we got on the same page. We've gotten on the same page together on all these issues and believe that we're doing as God is leading. Being on the same team where God is the coach is what we're trying to do. And make no mistake about it. Giving the way God would cause you to give and call us to give will mean that there's things that you couldn't do that you would have liked to have done. C.S. Lewis actually puts it this way. If your giving doesn't pinch you and you don't find yourself saying, man, we'd like to do that. I'd like to go ahead and get that. I'd like to speak to my radio play. But I can't because of the way we give. If there's nothing you find yourself saying, we can't do that because of how we give, you're probably not giving the way you should. Now I'm going to tell you something that I prayed about. But I'm going to do it because I'm your leader. So I'm not saying everybody else has to do this in small group. But as your leader, I see the example in the Bible where King David, before all of Israel, was charging them to sacrificially give to help build the temple. I mean, dig down deep and give, really give. And then he told them what he was going to give. As I prepared this message, I looked back and I sat down with our budget and I just looked back over the time that we've been here. Not my whole life. I've been tithing since I was seven. Not all of my whole life. Since 1996, when I became your pastor, I looked at what God, by His grace, 
has enabled Vicky and me. And I'm grateful for a wife who works with me on this. But I take care of her, folks. I don't want you to think I just give so much money away. She lives like a pauper. She gets good haircuts. She buys scarves. She gets things for the house. I, I upgraded her ring, her sad ring that I bought for $500 20, 25 years ago. I got her a better one. So I want you to know, I do things for my family. And at the same time, we've been able to give the way I'm about to tell you. Since 1996, through last year, through our hands, given away to this church and others, three hundred and thirty thousand dollars none of our parents died and left us a bunch of money no grandparents have a bunch of money that has been from my income as your pastor i was blown away three hundred and thirty thousand dollars while we raised five kids did braces car insurance was like oh i've got a fleet of used cars and they're all driving it's like oh my goodness this is expensive But see, we stayed in the same house. The house we bought in 1996 that has no walk-in closets, no garden tub, no double sink, not enough cabinets in the the kitchen. But it's a nice house. I like it. We had five kids there. Three girls in a bedroom, two boys in a bedroom. We had a bedroom. Some people are like, what? They all need their own room. No, they don't. They'll survive. They could be in Haiti in a hut. They're doing fine. But as I kept the same house... And my income increased. I was able to give more and give more and give more. Because instead of saying, bam, I got a pay increase. Bigger house. Bam, let's move out here. Big house. Bam, let's drive the the bigger vehicles. Kept buying used vehicles. Stayed in the same house. And able to give. Been tithing since I was seven. And and some years ago, I was able to go, all right, 14, 15%, 18%, 20, 21, 22%. But I planned on it. And you have to be content first. And think, I want to send it on ahead. Are you growing in your giving? So that you can see ministry expand. Both inside and outside of our church. Wherever you are, start taking steps to reduce your standard of living. So that you can increase your level of giving. You're going to have to plan on it. You're going to make some plans to be able to do this. And I want to say thank you to so many of hundreds of you get this. This is not a spanking sermon like, man, somebody else needs to live this way. Oh, hundreds of you live this way. This past year, the budget that was more than met, it was our biggest per capita giving that we've ever had in the history of our church. That means simply more people were giving. More people were part of the crowd that helped give what was given instead of just a few. It's not just a few people knocking it out of the park while everyone else watches. 80 more families gave last year than two years ago. And yet our attendance is slightly less than two years ago. Thank you. Thank you. You get it. You understand it. So it takes money to fund ministry to see this vision become a reality. But money alone won't give it, get it done. Let me tell you the second thing. Look at the kind of prayer that God says is going to have to be happening if we're really going to be courageous and make an impact. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. What kind of prayer are we going to have to see happening in our church for this big vision to become a reality? Colossians 4 beginning in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer. Now notice it starts off with a word that you realize, oh, we got to keep doing this. You can't just do it a little bit and say, I hope that we can ride on the prayers we prayed a few years ago. No, continue. And notice the adjectives that are used. Earnestly. Wait, it's probably an adverb. Earnestly. 
vigilantly. It means, I mean, we're really saying, God, come on, God. God, do great things. God, give us boldness. God, save people. God, break hard hearts. God, give us breakthroughs in counseling. God, give me courage. Give me boldness. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Notice how prayer is right at the heart of speaking and having courage and knowing what to say. People say to me, I don't know what to say to someone. Are you praying to be ready? Are you praying saying, God, use me today at work. Use me in the gym. Use me in the grocery store. Use me as I walk around the neighborhood. Pray that he'll give you words, that he'll help you know. The New Living Translation says it this way in verse 5 and 6. Live wisely among those who are not Christians. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective that you will have the right answer for everyone. Notice it's not screaming, yelling, gracious and effective. But you think, I mean, I walk away from situations sometimes and I think, was that me? That was so good. Thank you, Lord. Where did that all come from? He'll help you if you're praying. As I meet my neighbors, I write their names down and I pray for them. As I meet people on a plane, I write their names down and I pray for them. As I meet people at the gym, I got a whole list of all the trainers, all the people that work there, all the friends that I've made, and I pray for them. I'm praying. And as I'm praying, it's much more likely. See, here's the deal. Until you start praying this way, you will never lean into the opportunities. You say, I'm not having opportunities. I don't think you're seeing them because you're not praying. There's a young guy at the gym that I've gotten to know. His grandfather is dying. I can tell it breaks him up when I ask him about his grandfather. Tears well up in his eyes. But as I pray for him by name, not in front of him, oh God, bless this. No, in the mornings, I'm much more likely to notice him as I'm on the Stairmaster and think, oh, there's so-and-so. I want to engage him and ask him about his grandfather and I want to look for an opportunity to say, what if that was you? What if you were dying? Do you know Jesus Christ? If I'm praying for him, I'm much more likely to lean into and look for an opportunity. I think when you're not praying, you're just thinking, I got to get on the treadmaster. I got to get the, do my exercise. I got to get to the car. I got to take the kids to the soccer. I got to get home. I got to set up for a small group. And you're just blowing by opportunities. Pray, pray, pray earnestly, vigilantly, that God would give us the words to say. And thirdly, look at this, GPS, giving, praying, serving. Let me show you the serving from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here's what I think is interesting. I believe when we look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that serving is actually the characteristic that distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian. Oh, you know all kinds of Bible and still go right to hell. Knowing Bible is not the biggest tip-off that someone's a Christian. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It's the biggest indicator that someone has been brought out of darkness to light, death to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels me 
That is strong. So here's the good news, folks. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, I still have this sinful flesh that's making excuses and the screaming, saying they're not interested. They don't look like a good candidate. Don't talk. They don't want to hear it. You can't hear all these excuses. Here's the good news. I also have this. The love of Christ is compelling me. He loves me. He's so good to me. I've spent time with him. I delight in him. Just like when I spend time with my wife, Vicky, and I know her and I love her and I delight in her. I don't have to say to myself, now this week I need to say something about Vicky to somebody. It just happens. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The love of Christ compels me. I'm enjoying him. I'm knowing him. I'm spending time with him. I can't help but talk about him for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all. Here it is that those who live, he's talking about spiritually. You've been made alive. You are those that live. You're not dead in your trespasses and sins that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. I'm amazed as I hear the stories in our small group and just other stories from our church family. We are not perfect, but sometimes I'll say to Vicki, isn't it amazing the things that Christians will do that other people just don't do? How they'll sacrifice and go out of their way to serve somebody and help somebody and do something. The world doesn't think that way. It's all about them. It's because the love of Christ compels us that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Giving. Praying, serving, serving. Jesus Christ told us it's the serving part that is when you look most like him. Remember, of all the things he could have said with his final message to his disciples in the upper room, remember what he did? He didn't just say it, he illustrated it. He got up from his seat, he filled the bowl, he took off his outer garment, wrapped the servant towel around him and washed their feet. Serving is what should characterize us, both inside and outside of the church. Serving, serving. You don't live for yourself. You're thinking bigger than just me, my, mine, what I want, what I've got going on, and I'm so busy. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do in the final minutes, I'm going to do the big ask. I'm going to do the big ask. And I want you to make a commitment today. Because you can get all stirred up and then you go out of here and busyness just slams you in the face and nothing ever happens. I'm going to do the big ask today. And here's what we've done. I've asked our team to revamp our website to make it as simple as possible to know how to take that next step. All right, I want to give more. How, How would I begin? I'd like to pray more. What could I pray about? Sometimes I don't even know what to pray, Brad. You talk about praying for an hour. I don't know what I'd do with an hour. I want to serve, but where's the greatest need? Or what are the options here at this church and outside of this church? So here's what we've done. We've revamped the website so that it matches this commitment card in your bulletin. So pull that out. So here's your vision. And here's the GPS that's going to help us get there. Giving, praying, serving. And so I want to ask you to ask God. God, where do you want me to step it up? Hundreds of you are already practicing all three. But God may want you to grow. Some of you, maybe there's one that's just dead in the water. You say, you know what? I'm going to get on board with that. I need to really pray. 
Or I need to start serving. I need to give my life away. Stop living for myself. Live for those, for him who died and rose again. I don't know what God would tell you. I want you to listen to God. But here's my, here's my deal. If you click any of those, when you click give on the website. So you can go to the website to the homepage where it says vision. Click it and you'll get those three buttons. When you click give... It'll give you a link to a sermon series I did, three messages about giving. If you say, I need more teaching on this. I I don't understand that much about money, what the Bible says. You can get more right there. It'll open up a page where you can begin to give electronically, automatically, either automatic bill pay or electronic fund transfer. Because I believe if you want to get serious about giving, that's one of the best things you can do. Set it up automatic. My giving is coming off first off the top. I'm not going to live life, pay the bills, go out to eat, Do what you want and then say, oh, gee, we want to give, but we don't have anything left. You give it first. Whatever it is, how how often you get paid, we're going to set it up to where it's automatic. Because I believe when you set it up for automatic giving, you demonstrate that you've made giving back to God. Starting, notice my wording, starting with your local church. I don't want you to stop here. Please, listen to this. Don't give us all the money you're going to give away. But start here if this is your home church and then give more. I have automatic giving that I've set up for other ministries outside of our church. But I've got my giving right here set up. And I want to be growing in my giving. It'll help you know how to automatically do that. You'll get a link right there at the give button that'll show you about the Financial Peace University. And you can click saying, give me more information about the class. I want to get in. If you click the pray button... If you click the pray button, you can see a message I did about fasting. You say, I've never fasted before. I'm going to fast and pray this year for lost people, for me, for our church. You'll get a strategic prayer guide that I put together. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. What would I pray? I have put together a guide you can download and print out that says, please pray for our church and your leaders meet this way. You can click and sign up to be a part of a pastoral pit pit crew, pastor intercessory team, and pray for me and, and Peter by name with specific things we send out. I've got all my favorite prayer resources that have fired me up over the last 15 years. I put links to them right there. My favorite article on how to spend a day with God alone in prayer. You say, I've never done that. How would I do that? My favorite article's there. I've never fasted. How would I do that? My favorite booklet's right there. Good stuff for you regarding prayer. If you say, I'm going to ramp it up. I'm really going to pray. If you click serve... What we've done is we've categorized all the ways you can serve inside and outside of our church into six buttons. Some of it's right here. And and folks, you can serve in little ways that are behind the scenes. And you might serve in big ways. But coming early and making coffee is not a non-spiritual thing. Did you know unbelievers and people that are new to church, one of the most comforting things to them is just something in their hand? This is not a non-spiritual thing. When you show up early and make coffee... Now, Christians appreciate it also... But you're doing a good thing when you greet someone, when you help them find a parking spot easily, when you're right at the front door and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'll take you all the way back to your kid's class. I'll show you where the bathroom is. You're helping connect people with the possibility they could hear about the mercy of Christ. It all matters whether it's little or big. And if you click the missions tab, you'll see ministries outside of our church that we've partnered with. You might get training and work at New Hope Center, crisis pregnancy one night a week. Hear this. If I never see you serving here in this church, I would be fine with that if it was because you're leading a Bible study in your neighborhood. You've got a one-on-one study you're doing with someone at work. You've got something going with some teens that you met. You're, 
Just serve. I would love for us to actually be in trouble with our service here because we don't have enough teachers. We don't have enough anything because so many of you are out there in the community serving and doing things with lost people. I'd be thrilled. But serve somewhere. Just like we're known for biblical counseling and we're known for the sovereignty of God and we're known for small groups. I would love for this to be just become right at the heart. GPS. Are you giving? Doesn't matter how much are you giving, everybody gives something and grow in your giving. Are you praying? What if everybody prayed? I've got a dream. I pray. I get on my knees over the weekend and I cry out to God, God, meet with us. God, work. What if everybody prayed for our children's classes and for the counseling and for small group and for Sundays and for all of us during the week? What if everybody was serving somewhere in some way inside and outside of our church? So now here's what I want you to do. This commitment card has no place for your name on it because I don't want it. You're not turning it into me. Don't drop it in the baskets or the offering box. But I'm going to give you one minute right now to sit quietly before the Lord and say, God, what would you have me do? Where do you want me to step up? What do you want me to focus on? Where do you want me to grow and change in my life? And I want you to write it in the box for you to follow up. This is just to help you between here and the house not forget. And say, oh yeah, I was going to download that prayer guide. Oh yeah, I was going to check out some of the serve buttons and see where I could serve. Oh yeah, I was going to sign up for electronic giving. This is to remind you. One minute, right now, you ask God. God, never mind Brad. He's always frothy. What do you want? What would you say to me right now? Oh God, thank you for giving us something bigger than ourselves to live for. And thank you for giving us something eternal to invest our money in. To send it on ahead and to store up a good foundation for the time to come. And thank you for giving us direct access to your throne in prayer. And there is power in prayer. To ask the God of the universe who has all power, all wisdom, all mercy, all truth. To actually work in that situation at work and in the neighborhood and in the gym. And to use us. To have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and a heart to sacrifice. Oh God, break our hearts for lost people the way yours breaks. Give us eyes to see lost people. And give us an eternal perspective to keep in mind, you're coming. Our Savior's coming. He's worthy. And so I let go of some of all this stuff. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.